It is uh, Palm Sunday, the start of what we call Passion Week, and we focus in, uh, particularly this week, on the last week of Jesus' earthly life, and there are always so many things to cover. There are so many great uh, messages, instruction that we can receive out of the last week of his life. It seems like there's never enough time to do that justice. Whenever Palm Sunday comes around, I always look at the triumphal entry, and I say to myself after preaching 30 years now, is there another message you can pull out of the triumphant entry? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, praise God. I don't know how it must feel to be the President of the United States, to be able to go different places and to be in different venues. Recently, our President has taken a tour through Europe and uh, people have come out to view the new president and to receive the absolute adoration of the crowd has, has just got to be uh, an overwhelming, amazing thing. That everywhere you go, people stand. Everywhere you go, people clap. Everywhere you go, people think you are absolutely it. And I cannot imagine for a moment uh, what that must feel like. My, my, my prayer singularly at times when I see that is, oh God, please not let it go to his head in, in such a way that it would harm a nation. But, but there is a due respect, there is a, a, a due honoring that should take place. But the triumphal entry, as I'm about ready to read to you here, not only contains cheers, but it contains really an aspect that oftentimes never gets underscored, and that is this same crowd that was so full of adoration and love and cheers one week later would be the same crowd that would be hollering crucify him and, and, and so i just want to read to you a couple of accounts i think it's good to get some scripture in us with regards to this so in matthew 21 verse 6 it says this as they're coming in now to the city it said so the disciples went and did as jesus commanded them they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's stop there and leap over to the 27th chapter, if you would, please. Matthew 27. And let me begin to read, beginning with verse 15. 27, verse 15. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ. For he knew that they handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests 
and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And I want to talk this morning on what I've entitled living free from cheers and jeers. Living free from cheers and jeers. I would suppose given the choice between being liked or disliked, I can say with great confidence that most people would choose to be liked. In fact, I suspect really most people want to be loved. And if we could take it a step further, why don't we just admit it? We all want to be adored. I mean, no one really desires to be the object of someone's scorn. Nobody wants to be the object of someone's derision. I I don't think anyone really likes being hated. All of us have seen notable people. It could be a celebrity, one of the Hollywood crowd. It could be it could be a sports figure. Maybe a politician, even to be candid, some spiritual leaders who at one time were the darling of the masses. At one time, they were the adoring object of the crowds. They were the ones whom everybody loved. They could do no wrong. Everybody, everybody liked them. Unfortunately, later, they found themselves as material for the late night comedians and Saturday Night Live skits. It's amazing how quickly you can move from being adored by everyone to being absolutely despised by everyone. And the one thing that is consistent with our modern day illustrations of people who have endured both cheers and jeers is that most of them, and let's just be honest, for most of them, they probably deserved it at some level. I mean, a politician or even a preacher if they are in a sex scandal, let's say, who amongst us wouldn't say, well, you know what? They probably could stand for a few jeers. Or how about an athlete who is supposedly playing according to the rules and yet we find out that they've been using human growth hormones or steroids and they're beefed up to the place that they're they're really not playing like everyone else is playing. I mean, at some level, we could say, well, maybe they deserve a few jeers. How about a celebrity that finally is caught in their drug addiction, they're caught in their scandal, or they're caught in their, their, their alcohol DUI courtroom event, and, and suddenly they're thrown into rehab. That's just not really the greatest or, or the most sympathetic of figures. In fact, there's something inside of us that at times says, well, you know what? They probably need to come down a few notches. They probably need just to 
just to have, you know, the rug pulled out from under them to find out how the rest of us live and to find out that we all put our pants on the same way and, and we all have to do our hair in the morning and they just need to come off their high and mighty perch. And these things we can somehow understand. However, when it comes to Jesus, let's just be clear. The difference in this situation is he did absolutely nothing wrong. He did nothing to deserve the change in the popularity climate of Jerusalem. In fact, our opening text is the familiar one as we see Jesus entering Jerusalem in what we call the triumphal entry. There were a few, no doubt, that were irritated with him. Most of the religious leaders of that era, as you will recall, were kind of irritated with him. He would kind of caused their, you know, Saturday services to decline a little bit. They were irritated as the masses, the people, were beginning to be drawn to him. And, and the people loved him. I mean, I mean, the people would cheer because of all the things that Jesus did and all the ways that he reached out to them. And they were crying out, the Bible says, loudly. In fact, literally the word Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. And, and so they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. We don't realize what all these things may mean, but when they said, Hosanna to the son of David, they were literally intimating that, that just as David had been king, if you're the son of David, guess who ought to be king? And so they're crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Literally, they were saying as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, Jesus, you can free us. Jesus, you can, you can set us free. You're the one that's in line to be king. You can change the whole scenario in our lives and in our city, in our town. You're the one. And the truth is, Jesus was already a king. But the point here is the crowd was crying out for a savior to free them from their earthly oppressors. And they did not understand all that Jesus was about. In fact, they had seen him. They'd seen him heal. They'd seen him deliver. They had seen him raise the dead. They had even seen him put the religious leaders in their place. And they kind of enjoyed that. They had seen him even gain the respect, as you'll recall, of certain Roman soldiers, the centurion. Thought he was, he was absolutely great. All, if I can use this, all the Joe the Plumbers. All the Joe the Plumbers loved Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that the whole city was moved. That word in the original language is interesting because it, it just doesn't mean that they sort of were giddy. In fact, the word is actually used in reference to an earthquake. In fact, when Jesus came into the city, there was such a stir. There was a rumble in the city. There was an earthquake of commotion. But it didn't last very long because all of the cheers eventually turned to jeers. Have you, have you ever felt the fickleness of a crowd? Well, well let's, just, let's just make it a little more practical. Have you ever felt the fickleness of just one person? People who cheer you one day think you're all that. Can't imagine life without you. Think that you say or do nothing wrong. I mean, you are just it. And then the next day, they can't stand you. 
In fact, in some people's lives, perhaps it was deserved. But the point I believe the Lord wants to get in us today is that there will be times, if you are serious about following Jesus, that the cheers you get from someone today can turn into jeers tomorrow and you did absolutely nothing wrong. All you're doing is following the Lord. You see, Jesus had done nothing wrong, and yet the crowd turns on him. All he did was declare to them how to have a relationship with the Father. All Jesus did was somehow meet their needs. All Jesus did was he shared with them how they could keep their joy and how they could keep their peace and how they could keep their integrity. All he did was show them how to forgive and how to love. And how to reconcile with your neighbor. All Jesus did was to show them how to be compassionate. And yet, out of all of these wonderful, benevolent things, they turn on him. Of all the issues I think we face as human beings, perhaps the greatest singular disappointment is the feeling of being betrayed. Anyone here ever felt personally betrayed? Just raise your hand. I mean, I I think it's about 100%. I mean, is there anyone? I I, I mean, we don't need to hear your story. I'm sure the one that is on the other side of the fence, they probably feel at some level betrayed too. Everybody feels betrayed some way, somehow, sometime in their life. Jesus experienced it at every level imaginable. He had the adoring crowds who turned on him. He had his own nation, which he came to reach out to and save, turn on him. He had his own religious circle turn on him he had his best friends that he himself had walked with for three years turn on him he had his closest confidants who he brought up into the inner circle turn on him i mean jesus experienced this at every imaginable level some of you here today have faced this as well you have faced what you consider to be great deep betrayal it may have come through a divorce it may have come through a a, A situation of infidelity. It may have been a bad business deal that you entered into. It may have been a family division. It may have been a good friend. It may have even been a Christian brother. But somehow or some way that situation shook out to where you felt like it got turned. And suddenly this this relationship that you had that you thought was solid. And it it was good and it was on target. Suddenly turned and now it's become painful i mean has anyone not felt betrayal i started to think about that and i started just to ask myself the question as i was reading through this what causes a person or for that matter what causes a crowd to change their tune i just kind of thinking about it what would change their tune why would a person suddenly one day think you're just the greatest thing since air conditioning and then the next minute you know you're the devil himself what would, what would cause people to do this? Well, I suppose people will generate a thousand reasons. I mean, people can find a reason to do just about anything they want to do. But I'm just going to suggest a few from the life of Jesus. And again, just listen to me. If you're serious, now if you're not serious, it probably won't affect you as much. But if you're really serious about following the Lord, don't think it's strange that all you've done is tried to follow the Lord as best you know how. Don't think it's strange if somehow or another the cheers suddenly turn to jeers. What causes a person to do that? Number one, I believe a person may do that when you don't live up to their preconceived expectations. 
Of course, with Jesus, they wanted an earthly king. They wanted a conquering general. They wanted someone who would lead them in revolt to topple their Roman oppressors. They wanted a political solution to their temporal problems. And he just didn't do or respond like they thought a, a Messiah should. I mean, they wanted a Messiah, and then they got a Messiah, and then they decided that's not the Messiah they wanted. They became Messiah experts. Obviously, obviously, the crowd knows what a Messiah should do. I, I, I mean, I guess next time they're going to have to get a better Messiah search committee. Because we all know that the crowd can never be wrong. Oh, we all know that the majority is always right. We all know that if everybody thinks this way, then it must be so. See, he was a Messiah that didn't live up to their preconceived expectations. Even today, people not only have some preconceived expectations about Jesus, but they have some preconceived expectations about his followers too. How many times must Jesus have heard, you know, well, I, 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 they watch what he did and they say, well, I thought you were a Messiah. Just like when somebody watches you and they say, well, I, I thought you were a Christian. Well, wait, 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 what does that have to do with this? Well, what has to do with that is you didn't do what I expected you to do. And because you didn't do what I expected you to do, therefore you must not be who you are presenting yourself to be. Are you with me? You mean, you mean I can't take advantage of you? You're a Christian. You mean you're going to ask me to live up to my word on a contract? Come on, you're a Christian. You mean you're going to hold my feet to the fire on some commitments? Come on, you're a Christian. Obviously, that's not what a Christian would do. No, no, a Christian lets you just walk on him, spit on him. That's, in some people's minds, that's what it, as long as you're doing what I personally expect you to do, we're okay. But the problem was Jesus didn't live up to their preconceived expectations. And everybody has this preconceived expectation about whether you're a Christian or you're a Christian leader or a Christian pastor. They all have expectations. And these expectations are such that if somehow they aren't met, then just watch cheers turn to jeers. Watch. It happens. You didn't do what they wanted. You didn't, you didn't reach out like they wanted. You didn't do this like they wanted. You didn't, you didn't act like this. You didn't, and it's got nothing to do with your Christianity. It just has everything to do with their preconceived expectations. And they turn. Secondly, I believe what caused a person to turn was is that they listened when they listened to ungodly voices. I'm amazed at times who people will listen to. Isn't it interesting that Judas, Judas walked with Jesus for three years? Heard all the instruction, was his treasure, actually. Obviously had the trust of the master. And yet when it came right down to crunch time, Judas listened to the religious leaders. Instead of remembering all the instruction that he'd received through the years. Now, it just didn't affect like a guy like Judas with religious leaders, but the religious leaders who should have known better listened to Roman politicians. The crowd listened to the rabble-rousers. Everyone was listening to someone they had no business listening to. I'll never forget years ago, I had a 
I call them bumps. What, what, what I mean by that is that sometimes with folks or with people, you can have it in your marriage, you can have it with your kids, you can have it just with your friends. I call them relational bumps. That something happens and you bump in this relationship. And I'm just going to stop here. This, this, this is the Holy Ghost just brought this to mind. I'm going to share this with you. Every relationship will be tested. I'll just, you, if you can get a hold of that right now, that, that'll, that'll take you a long way. Every relationship you have will be tested. Your marriage relationship will be tested. Your friend relationships will be tested. Your parenting relationships will be tested. Your church relationships will be tested. Your relationship to God will be tested. Every, everyone say every, every relationship will be tested. You are not going to get into some relationship that won't be tested. It just doesn't happen. So I'm in a, a, a more or less a pastoral relationship and I, I have a bump with a person over their children. Now they were wonderful, supportive people, but we had this little bump over the kids. Now, it's interesting because once we had this little bump with the kids, though they'd been with me for years, they decided they were going to call somebody three states away. And they had a 15-minute conversation with somebody three states away and then decided, I must be the devil. If you ever wondered what the devil really looks like, Yeah, it amazes me to this day. It amazes me the voices you will listen to because most of the time people aren't listening to voices that will help them. They're listening to voices that will confirm what they want. And then they'll say, it's the Lord. See, I got confirmation on that. That's the Lord. That's why when you want to get a divorce, you go talk to other people who are divorced. They tell you to do it and you go, oh, that must be the Lord. Are, are you with me? Come on now, every relationship is tested. They listen to wrong voices. I can almost guarantee you that any betrayal you face, people listen to voices that probably lack godliness. Number three, what causes a person or a crowd to turn? It's when their free help seems to dry up. Jesus, isn't it amazing? He's an incredibly compassionate and powerful person. But when the miracles got put up for a moment to deal with their character, to deal with maturity, to deal with responsibility, to deal with endurance, it's amazing how the crowds begin to thin. Whoa, Jesus, no more free lunches on the hillside? Oh, man, they ain't, if you ain't feeding me, I ain't coming. As long as you're buying the lunch, they'll be there. As long as you're babysitting the kids, they'll be there. As long as you give them what they want, pay their electric bill, drop your schedule for their free daily counseling session, you're the man or you're the woman. But the minute the free help dries up, watch what happens. Watch what happens. I guarantee I paid more electric bills and water bills and rent bills. I paid more than you can imagine. Oh, Pastor Bear, you are the most compassionate pastor. I can't imagine any more pastor just more compassionate than you. And, and then they'll look next month and I'll go, you know what? We need to figure out what's going on here. What, what, uh, you, this is the church that doesn't have any love in it. You don't love me. Well, that ain't true. I love you. I'm just trying to really help you now. Watch people. Watch people when the free stuff dries up. 
Watch it when the, st- when the stuff just begins to shrivel and you begin to zero in on making them responsible and strong. And Oh, it'll turn. Number four, they turn, I think, when it's the path of least resistance. When most people are confronted with the choice of suffering or relief, they will pick relief, even when it's not the right choice. Tracy and I heard a statistic several years ago that told us that almost 70% of people have phlegmatic traits in them. Isn't that about right? 70% almost, 68%. What that means is with that personality trait so dominant in our culture, it means that for most people, they will go along to get along, even though it is at the expense of their personal integrity. It is hard to stand for what is right when the majority is on the other side of the fence. Listen to me, folks, if we're serious about following Jesus and his Bible is true and we believe it to be true and the darkness is going to get darker and it's going to be gross darkness, I'm telling you, the day will come when the majority of people in our nation will stand opposite of godliness and you and I are going to be in some minorities. And we won't incur the favor of the crowd. There's going to come a day when we're going to have to look at some things and say, Black is black and white is white and right is right and wrong is wrong. And there are going to be some people over here who will say to themselves, well, I'm a Christian and I can compromise and God's okay with it. Well, I'm not their judge and I may not be able to change them, but I can talk to you and tell you that's not right. You're going to have to learn right up front quickly that sometimes you're going to be the one swimming upstream. And most people don't want to swim upstream. They want the path of least resistance. And so when everybody's telling them, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, I'm here to tell you, it may not be okay. And there might not be many who stand there. Now, I can give many personal illustrations, and I know many of you could give personal illustrations of how crowds or people have turned. It's a painful thing at one moment. To be the greatest thing since the Apostle Paul. And the next moment you're the Antichrist. And you've done nothing. You've done nothing but you tried to follow his ways. You tried to follow his word. But here's the deal. If you're going to embrace and be fed on the cheers. Then you're going to be devastated on the jeers. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I believe Jesus' success in the will and the plan of God was... That he wasn't living for the cheers, and therefore he wasn't detoured by the jeers. He had found the place of peace. He had found the place of self-acceptance. That he could hear the cheers of the crowd, and he could say as a whole person, not needing his ego stroked, not sucking it into his system like a giant black hole that never gets fed enough to keep him going, but he was at peace with himself. He was whole. He was complete. He heard the cheers and he was able to say, that's nice. I appreciate that. But it did not change who he was. So when the jeers came, he was still able to do the will of the Father. He couldn't say and look at himself saying, well, if I do this, I'll lose the adoration. It didn't matter. He was able to go through and say, the only voice I need to hear is my father, who's the one that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
And you and I have got to get to the place where we too can begin to say that I am his beloved son. You are his beloved daughter. That we are his beloved kids. And the only voice that we really need to hear is the one that says, I am pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. Now, if, if there's claps and there's cheers and there's adoration, that's great. Everybody loves to be encouraged. Everybody loves affirmation. It's not wrong, but you can't get to the place where that becomes your barometer. Because there may come a day when they ain't clapping. And they ain't amening you. And, and they aren't. And I hear I, I like all the rights, by the way. I like it that you guys are getting noisier. I like that, by the way. I appreciate that. But there may be a day that pastor comes in here and it's stone cold quiet. And if I'm waiting until I, I, I move, till I hear an amen, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. The cheers are great. The amens are wonderful. All the things we do as a congregation, that's great. But you better get to the place where you realize, as great as that is, there may come a day when that same person or that same crowd may not think it's all that great. And you've got to live as unto the Lord. Now, how do, how do we live free like Jesus did? Let me read to you a couple passages of scripture if you have your bibles go back to the book of proverbs chapter 29 29 and 25 this one is one of those underlinable verses that everyone ought to have underlined in their bibles proverbs 29 and 25 it says this the fear of man brings a snare the fear of man brings a snare what that means simply is this is that if you're going to fear man that you're eventually going to get caught somehow, some way. And, and you're going to be trapped. But whoever trusts, it says, in the Lord shall be safe. See, our general problem today is we fear man more than we fear God. We are tied to popularity and it gets us in trouble. We need to live free from cheers and jeers. If they're clapping us for us, that's great. If they're complaining about us, so be it. But we live free from it. Because we are as unto the Lord. Now, how does that work? You say, well, pastor, that's really easy to preach or to teach. But come on now, there's got to be, there's got to be some way this has got to work. Well, let me give you, I'm going to give you a couple of things. In fact, let me just suggest this. If you've not been to consecrate starting a week from this Wednesday, you need to come. Because we'll get you free. We'll get you free from the fear of man. Amen. Because, because you're blaming the devil on some things, and the truth is you've got a fear of man in you. How do you live free from it? Number one, you've got to just first realize that everyone's going to face betrayal at some level. Everybody faces betrayal at some level. You're not unique. You're not the only one. God isn't picking on you. The enemy hasn't singled you out. Everyone faces betrayal at some level. I take personally some sense of solace that Jesus, now think about this, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus not only faced relational hurt, He not only faced betrayal, but He actually picked them. Isn't that amazing? I mean, He picked them and He knew who was going to do it. He prophesied to Peter about His denial. He spoke to Judas 
about his betrayal. I take some sense of solace with that. I figure if Jesus got to pick his 12 and he picked these, you know, these, these nutcases and he's the son of God, then what does that mean for me? I mean, Jesus, Jesus picked them, picked them. Sometimes we say, I was fooled, I was snagged. Just think about it. Jesus picked Peter. Picked him. Jesus picked James and John, who would fuss over, who was going to sit next to him in his throne the whole time going, oh yes, we can be baptized with the baptism you're going to be baptized with. We can drink of the cup that you're going to drink from. And the whole time Jesus, having picked them, is saying to himself, God, you're stupid. Now, that wasn't in the Bible. I'm just sharing what had to have been going on in the mind of God at that moment. But everybody faces it. Several years ago, there was a newspaper reporter I knew real well down at the Post and Courier. I knew him real, real well. In fact, he's still there. He no longer is on the same uh, journalistic beat that he was then. But I knew him real well, and we had a great relationship. And he, he wrote this glowing article about me. Man, I cut that thing out. Had my picture on it, too. Yeah, it was about 30 pounds better. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, it was a glowing article. People, would, people around town would go, oh, you're, you're Pastor Beardle. Yeah. Humbly. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and the whole time you're thinking to yourself, because this is people. I mean, I'm just, I'm telling on myself because secretly I'm telling on you. Because we all walk around and we give the sounds of humility. Of course, you know, the Bible talks about false humility. You understand what that is, don't you? It's, it's when you make the sounds of humility, but inside you're going, eh, that's me. That's me. Yeah, I give God all the praise, though. I give God. No, you don't. You love all the praise. Anyway, knew him real well, wrote this glowing article, and then some things happened. And almost overnight, he wrote this article that stunk about me. I'm going, that ain't right. That I, we were friends. We were, we were on the same page. You, re, you know me. Come on. Listen, you can go from favor on the front page to being despised overnight, and all you did was follow Jesus. You might as well get ready. Get ready. That's why Jesus said something. This is really good. You always got to go back and just read his words because his words will help you so much. Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12. It says this, blessed are you. Everyone say, I'm blessed. Oh, come on. Say it real loud like you mean it. I am blessed. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. And all, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. See, I didn't realize. See, I was rejoicing over the glowing article. You know, walking around calling my buddies. Yeah, favor of God, favor of God. 
And I was rejoicing. Little did I know. I hadn't read the word close enough. Little did I know that when that nasty article came out, that's when I should have rejoiced. It says rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Glory Glory to God. Jesus just says, you ain't any different. And notice what Jesus said here. He said, blessed are you when they revile you, not if they revile you. Are you with me? Come on, if you aren't getting a little reviling every now and then, you got to get to following the Lord a little closer. Hallelujah. I remember when I was just a, a new Christian, 18, 19 years old. Man, we considered it a badge of honor if you could get people to really dislike you for the cause of Christ. I mean, you heard me tell the stories. They brought football into our Christian school. Now, I know there's nothing wrong with football. They're Christian football players. I get it. I was just lunatic, okay? I was just crazy. And, and, I, and, and we went out there, and, and because they, they, at a Christian school, they, they, begin, they began to solicit unchristian football players. And these unchristian football players were coming into the campus, in our minds, they were coming into the campus, and they were leavening the spiritual atmosphere. Hallelujah. And then, they, you know, and they're sniffing around our women. And we just don't, we don't want this. We don't want this on our campus. And we'd go out there and we'd sit in the middle of a football field. I'm not kidding you. There'd be five or six of us just crazed, crazed preacher kids. We'd sit in the football field and we'd cry out for God to send his fiery indignation down on that football field. Consume it. Not even thinking that if he did it at that moment, we were in the middle of it. Oh, listen to this. But we would walk through school and you'd get those big, you know, those big linemen and linebackers. They knew, they knew, they knew me. I had one of them, big old boy, come up to me. I mean, he's just a big old boy. And, and I mean, he's just, you know, and he's standing right there, in, you know, trying to intimidate me. And he's going, I hear you don't, you don't want us around. You don't like the football team. I said, listen. <laughs> that's, that's right about belly button height right there. I said, listen, the Bible says to touch not God's anointed. You're on serious ground right now. See, we just, but see, the whole point I'm trying to tell you is everybody, everybody faces it. And all you did was you just trying to follow Jesus, just trying to follow Jesus, just trying to do his will, just trying to do it. Number two, don't take your press too seriously. And what I mean is people will flatter you and truth is. You aren't all that. And people will ridicule you. And truth is, you aren't all that either. And I'm grateful at times when people come to me and they'll say encouraging things and they'll say nice things. I'm just like any other human being, just like you. Everybody likes a little encouragement on occasion. Everybody wants to be encouraged. Tell them that they're a good person, they're a good guy, good good woman, I appreciate things you did. There's nothing. I'm not suggesting we cut off encouragement. But if you get too needy for that stuff, 
you can get sucked into a place where the enemy can turn things and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you're not getting as much of it as you think you need or you're not getting it like you want it or you're not getting enough of it and you can get sucked into something to where there can be just 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 a legitimate concern that is expressed and all of a sudden, man, you're just, you're knocked for a loop. It's just, it's just, it just takes you out. Folks, just don't take your press too seriously. Okay, we ain't all that. We're, we're, we're not the greatest thing in the world. I recognize that. I, I, I love you. I think, I think we're a great thing. I think God's doing great things amongst us. I can believe all that. But I understand. We, we ain't all that. But you know what? There are some things people say that we ain't that either. One of our overseers, Pastor Carl Morris. I, uh, I like Carl. Carl's just a natural encourager. And Pastor Carl... I always kid him. Whenever I go talk, speak at his church, he, uh, he'll introduce me. And I've often said to Pastor Carl, you need to be a professional introducer. Is there any way I can take you with me everywhere I go? And I just let you introduce me everywhere I go. He is, is that not true? He is a professional introducer. I mean, when he gets done introducing you, I mean, you feel like you're this... You're, I mean, it's just, it's the most amazing feel. He's just an exhorter. He's an encourager. And, and, and I just, I love to be around him. And every time I'm there, he'll just, he'll just, he'll paint a picture of me. And I want to, I know Tracy's going, what's he talking about? And, 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 and I, and I'm going, oh my, my, and no. And then of course you get up and go, oh, I'm not all that. I'm not all that. And inside you're going, you know, but here's the deal. You, whether you walk on water or not, don't take that too serious. Because somebody knows the truth. And finally, number three. And this is really the most important one, is that you've just got to die to the applause of man. I, I'm going to read you several verses here, and just real quickly. In Galatians 1.10, Paul says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Ephesians 6, 6. We read, well, his talk starts with talking about bondservants being obedient. But then he says to them, he says, not with eye service as men pleasers. What he means is this, you know, there are some people, I, I, I used to use this verse to talk about how when people worked and the boss was there, they would work one way. But when the boss left the room, they worked another way. And, and that's called eye service. In other words, you, you, you know you're being watched. And he says, that's not how we're supposed to be. You, you aren't one way just because people are watching you as men pleasers. But as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And then finally, 1 Thessalonians. And again, you can write them down. I'm just kind of sewing them into you here in these last moments. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. He said, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Truth is, the only way you can singularly live under the Lord, as Jesus lived under the Father, is to yield your will. The Bible calls this dying to self. 
rarely taught anymore. We're going to teach it for 10 weeks. Because it is the key to the American church. And it's the key to bringing the power of God back to our midst. The problem is, you and I, as the American church, have wanted the power of God to show up simply to make our life easier, simply to meet a need that was pressing us, simply, simply in order to cause our life to be even more convenient than it already is. And God is looking at the American church, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, I want to release my power. I'm prophesying to the American church right now. The Spirit of the Lord is saying, I do so desperately want to release my power. It is my intention in my heart, saith the Lord, to release my power. But my power is to be used, saith the Lord, for my purposes. My power is not for you to be selfish in and through and with, but my power comes in order that I might reach and touch and heal and help. And I will send my power exponentially greater than you have ever seen, declares the Lord, when I am able to express myself through you in a way that I never have. For as soon as you let go of yourself, then I will send myself. And they will not see you, but they will see me, says the Lord. That's what God's up to. That's what He's doing. And, and we love people. We, we want to help people. We, we don't want to disappoint anybody. I can't tell you, I, I do not sit up at night thinking about how I can disappoint somebody. We know it happens. It happens to you and through you. It is, it is impossible really to go through life and not bring disappointment. But here's the key. The key is, is that we've got to reach the place where it's not my will, but thy will be done. And one of the, the neatest, I, I realize that probably embarrasses my daughter for me to use the word neat. I don't even know if cool is cool anymore. What, what's the word? Come on, tell me. Sick? One of the sickest things. I'm getting up to speed now. That's just hard. Let me tell you, one of the most important messages of Easter, listen to me, is this. That Jesus, listen, that Jesus, despite experiencing the heartache of the crowds, Despite experiencing the heartache of friends turning on him, despite all of the disappointment and hurt and everything in that last week that he was to face, listen to me, he still pressed through with the Father's plan. And because he did that, rather than try to please them, he came forth in greater power and glory. And that is why as he burst through the grave on that Sunday morning when he was resurrected from the dead and we look at that wonderful story, you've got to realize that the Bible says that the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. Let, 
But, but I t- you say, really? Yeah, but you see, the reason we haven't got there is because we haven't died to self. We haven't been to Gethsemane. We haven't come to the cross. We haven't picked it up. We haven't done, we haven't done our part. Have we been forgiven? Sure, we have. Have a lot of things of the enemy broke, been broken off our life? Yes, they have. But here's the key. Here's, I'm telling you, it's the key. But the key is, as God even pulls all that junk off of you, the bottom line is this. He can't pull your nature out of you. You must yield. You must die to the will. You're not dying into nothing. You're dying into his image. Are you following me? Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'm done. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And be not conformed to the patterns of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. That verse is true. But it's only true as we yield ourselves a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Living above the cheers and the jeers. It's living singularly unto him. Amen? Stand with me, will you?